Good morning. I'm your host, Claudia Shamba, welcoming you to the May 31st, 2022 edition of Ask a Leader. Today, my guests meet us at a highly charged moment this week before California finishes the June 7th primary, where gun violence has no end. Indeed, it seems to escalate. It's a damn nightmare. First, the last primary candidate to speak on this show is Scott Baugh, attorney, Orange County Republican leader, and former California Assemblyman. He'll talk about his challenge to incumbent Congresswoman Katie Porter in the new 47th Congressional District that includes the cities of Seal Beach, Huntington Beach, Newport Beach, Laguna Beach, Costa Mesa, and Irvine. In the second segment, Bethany Webb, member of the California Victims for Alternatives to the Death Penalty, will speak at the intersection of gun violence and the electoral choices we all make. Her skin is in this game. Her sister was killed and her mother wounded in the 2011 Salam Meritage mass shooting in Seal Beach. We'll be right back. Don't go away. Welcome back to the show. My first guest is Scott Baugh challenging Congresswoman Katie Porter in the new 47th Congressional District where this community resides. Others challenging Porter are Republicans Errol Weber, he was on over a month ago, Amy Pham West, and Brian Burley. Scott Buzz maintained his practice at Scott Bond Associates, specializing in real estate matters. He was chairman of the Orange County GOP for 10 years and was in the California Assembly representing the 67th District, that was coastal Orange County, for three terms, winning, starting with winning in a successful recall against an incumbent in 95, serving them till 2000. He was a leader of the Assembly's GOP caucus over the last year of that term. He ran unsuccessfully for Congress in the 48th District in 2018. Scott Boz, chair of the Orange County Gang Reduction Intervention Partnership, board member of the George T. Flager Foundation, founding trustee of Pacifica Christian School of Orange County, founding chair of Institute for Fair Elections, Orange County Marathon Foundation, and Angel Force USA. He completed his Bachelor's of Science and Business Administration at Liberty University, that's over there in Virginia, and his law degree at the University of the Pacific at McGeorge School of Law. He joins me in studio today. Yeah, and that's a treat. Welcome to Ask a Leader, Scott Baugh. Uh, good to be with you, Claudia. Good morning to you. Good. Thank you. Well, first, this is, this is the campaign of your lifetime, the pinnacle of your political career. So tell us about the committees that you would like to serve on in the U.S. Congress. Oh, I'd be an attorney. I'd like to serve on the Judiciary Committee. I um, also like to uh, look at energy and commerce and, uh, uh, you know, the uh, appropriations. There's a, there's a lot of great committees. I have a, a background in transportation and in health care, so uh, there's a lot of opportunities I'll have in Congress. There will be. Well, so, and keeping that, those kinds of appointments in mind and all that, I just, I'd, you know, we have a, a lot of, you know, 
intellectual firepower right here on the US UCI campus. We've got the 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 public health. We've got engineering, physical sciences, the law school. Now, what who on the UC Irvine campus is in your brain trust, Gatba? You, you asked me who I rely on at UCI to develop my thoughts. I, I'm not sure. Who I gives you data? Who gives you perspective? Who gives you what to look out for? What? Who's in? Who's oh, in the I, I, I don't rely on UCI for that. Oh, okay, okay. So then, on to the uh, on your website, you post your your interest in field areas, and you have school. You lead with school choice. Then there's the uh, border security uh, in under the immigration label. And repealing the car tax was a big thing for you when Gray Davis was in office, and the it was removed, it was repealed, and we were we were reeling quite a long time with that deficit, with that tax taken out there. There, uh, uh, you're also posting the debt balance budget, and offshore drilling opposition. So, um, so that those are areas that people, if they haven't been on your website, they can see that there. So, with the highly anticipated reversal of Roe v. Wade very soon, any day now. There is in there was passed out of Congress, but it was turned down in the Senate Senate, the Women's Health Protection Act. What's your disposition toward that measure? Well, you see in, in you have to sort of wait for Roe versus Wade to come down. The final ruling I anticipate will come down here in June, uh next month. And uh um, of course, there's a lot of controversy over over the leak of it. But once that comes down, uh, the matter gets reverted back to the states and the states will decide uh, that issue. And I think it's going to be state by state in California, as you know, it's a very uh, progressive state on, on the issue of abortion, probably the most progressive laws uh, in the country. So when Roe versus Wade, if it's uh, um, uh, reversed, um, I, you won't see any change in California just because it's reverted back to the state, and the state already has those laws. Well, the only the only change will be that, and, and I believe that UCI, the UC system, are working on training healthcare providers who can keep their chops in sort of being able to deliver abortion services, as well as sort of accepting. There are already many more patients that are coming now because of what's being codified essentially in Texas and there are people coming but it there will be a, a the sizable demand to be met of out of state patients so i guess that's that's sort of that sh- impact would show up here but uh, what would you do with the um were the were Roe v Wade then uh, reversed would it, would you support the women's health protection act which is a pretty comprehensive act for in the name the, of the one that they just tried to pass yes uh, no no i wouldn't not would have not. voted for that no for those of you who've just joined me, my guest is Scott Baugh. He's challenging Congresswoman Katie Porter in the new 47th Congressional District. Includes Seal Beach, Huntington Beach, Newport Beach, Laguna Beach, Costa Mesa, and Irvine. And so uh, the California primary ballots, are they're flying out the door from homes to the registrar voters. And I'm going to remind everybody, it's June 7th. That's next week, folks. So... Gun violence prevention is on top of mind. We're reeling from one mass shooting after another. Shockwaves are flattening the Uvalde, Texas community while they're having funerals right as we speak. And we've all seen the graph that shows what happened when assault rifles were banned before the sunsetting happened in 2004. We can see the sort of incidents of assault rifle uh, assaults, and then we see 
we see the drop, and then once that Man. was sunsetted in 2004, there's quite the large pickup, I think, to the tune of about 243% increase of assaults by those. So I'd, I'd like to ask you for, we'll break down what kinds of measures are involved in dealing with gun violence prevention, and I'd like to know if you would support a federal assault weapon ban. So in California, as you know, they have fairly restrictive gun laws in California. You have a magazine clip of 10. You can't have any more than 10. You have extensive background checks. You have waiting periods. um, And you have a lot of, uh, like, the uh, uh, automatic weapons that have already been banned in California, in fact, in the whole country. Um, and, And so I think what we have to look at is take a step back and look at a broader issue. What is going on? What's causing all of this? I think there's a there's a deficit here on mental health. I think we need to make sure that everything everything we do in our power to make sure that people who have mental illness uh, don't have guns. And the bottom line is you'd have to be mentally ill in order to shoot a child. And so uh, we need to do a better job, a much better job of making sure that people with mental illness or criminal backgrounds do not ever have control of weapons. So that is the factor that most concerns you. Sure. There not other not the um the, the there's the statistic now that there are more weapons than there are people that are popular and and I think you've seen it. I'm sure your staff has shown you there's whole Twitter threads of people that are they have displayed in their bedroom and their patio. They've got like this elaborate uh, the, the kind, the Kevlar protection, and all kinds of firearms that are assembled. It's pretty elaborate. It's, I don't know if it's a one-upping going on there, but but you yeah, can I, see I, that ownership yeah, that, on I the don't, uptick. I don't own any weapons myself. My family has weapons. I don't own any weapons. Uh, that that seems a little aggressive to me. And so the other idea, though, if if California has those kinds of restrictions, but there's traffic, and we know from many of these. Uh, situations where the traf- the weapons travel over the state border. So the protection is only as good as what your next state allows or two states over. So does that concern you that there is a variation in protection that leaves sort of a, it leaves an opportunity for people to carry weapons into a state that's well, trying sure. to be protective? Sure. You, 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 I mean, you start with the Second Amendment. It is the law of the land in this country. And, uh, and each state gets its own uh, shot at, at, at putting their restrictions on. And again, California has a lot of restrictions, uh, not as many as Texas, of course. Uh, but again, the key here is not to take guns away from law-abiding citizens. It's to make sure that people that would abuse weapons, as we see in Evalde and other areas, that they don't ever have access to those weapons. And, and that's where the system has broken down. And... That um, I'd like to go to another measure that I, you've been, I'm sure, weighing all these. What about background checks? Nine out of ten Americans are supportive of background checks, and I can break down some of the details that make this work and where the where there are those loopholes that are concerning. What is your position on background checks? I, I support them. Okay, so you you would... have to have a background check, and and you have background checks here in California, even on. On uh, gun shows, you have to have background checks. You have to go through dealers. Um, and, and there's a system in place here to make sure the background is done. And it's not quick either. A background check can take uh, quite some time. The waiting period is, is a specified time, but often the background check takes longer than that. 
So the Charleston loophole, I I bone up on some of this, and I are you aware of the Charleston? I'm not, I'm not. So the Charleston loophole is, you uh, if you don't get this, the gun dealer doesn't get the security check fully detailed within that three day period. The gun can sale can be transacted, and so then there could be a, a, a later on a a, a violation and a checkered history by the purchaser of the gun. But it's too late. Like that's what happened in Charleston, South Carolina, where that security check wasn't completed, but he got his gun anyway. So did you? Would you support t- closing up I, that? Loophole? I would. I would have to look at that and understand exactly what it is. But I'll take a look at that. Okay. Okay. So that's then I said nine out of ten Americans want that. There's the um, the other uh, yeah. Well, we can go into anecdotal that, um, but I'll, in the interest of time, I'll leave what happened with the Midland Odessa gunman. So there are ghost guns too, and that's that's been a, an issue. I don't believe it was quite passed. It was on the state senate floor. I I frankly don't recall what has been the, the situation in California's state legislature, but it's it's been sponsored by our state senator men here. But would you support requiring, um, well, prohibiting ghost guns? You you would have to describe that legislation to me. What I don't so ghost I've guns are that. guns that are not traceable at all. Elements are assembled to make a full weapon, and because they're assembled after the sales of those elements, they're not traceable. And, and tracing is the forensic, as you know, as an attorney, forensics are key in making a case and and tracking and and keeping evidence for for whatever purpose. Right. But what what's your position on going after ghost guns? Again, this is I, I'm not familiar with that legislation. I'll take a look at it, but uh, um, let me let me take a look at it and I'll get you an answer. And so I'm looking at one more. Uh, so passing extreme protection orders, which can temporarily separate an individual from. A firearm, if they are at risk of harming either themselves or others, eight out of ten Americans support that. It's the red flag measure. What's your position on the red flag? Well, I, I think it's an important part of of the um, the safety of our citizens. If there is somebody who's posing a threat and we're aware of it, uh, there should be some intervention. Because I think that's what happened in the Santa Barbara mass shooting. That had there been a red flag. That the parents could have intervened. The interve- the parents were aware that the perpetrator was a danger, and they, I think they supported getting that yeah. red flag measure passed in California. Yeah. But so some of these measures you support, and others you don't. So well, no, they- no, I, I, I'm saying some of the concepts I support to okay. evaluate them. I don't. When you talk about a measure, that's a specific piece of legislation, and I would have to look at each piece of legislation. Um, but yeah, we need we need background checks. We need uh, red flag uh, issues to make sure that our citizens uh, can be safe. But if there's if there's somebody posing a danger, uh, there's there's uh, there's room to make sure that other people are aware of that and there's intervention. So Scott Bauer, two two things were very sobering for me to take in in the news. One was the coverage of Uvalde as that the you you. I'm sure no doubt are aware that there were DNA samples that were required to identify the children because they were they were pretty liquefied from the onslaught of the the assault rifle ban. There's that sobering item. And the other was on a Twitter space talking was a Ukrainian military man on the front line. It was it was really an extraordinary talent. He was talking about his AR-15 
That's he's in a battle zone, and that battle zone weapon was used in Uvalde, Texas. So those two sobering data points for me. How how did you take in those kinds of things? Well, listen, I've um, I have a son. I couldn't imagine uh, that happening to him. I mean, he's 19 now, but... Oh, is he uh, 19? I'm looking uh, at your website. That's your son there, right? <laughs> yes, that's my son. He's yeah. 19 now. Yes, okay. he's 19 now. Um, but I, there are no words that you can convey to those parents who have that loss. Uh, it, it's just, it would be empty for us to try to comfort them. You can't be comforted from that kind of a loss. Uh, I've had friends who've lost children, and uh, it's it's devastating. So as a matter of first priority, of course, that's a horrible thing. Um, but I'm not sure what you're asking. Well, it's just the the utter the utter violence yeah. of of the assault rifle. That yeah. what what is the point of making assault rifles both uh, you know making them as available as they are, and we. We're watching where the Daniel Defense, I don't know if you've investigated that, but that's the weapon that was purchased in the Uvalde assault. And it, this guy's used an increasingly more aggressive kind of sales approach. Yeah. Take, I mean, literally not taking any prisoners. So I, I just, um, I think it's we need to understand what this kind of industry is perpetrating on, I mean, the shockwaves are felt by everybody, including the most personal yeah. ones there. So I, I just wonder about what we can do to limit well, this I think, massive I, amount of I supply. think you have a, a broader cultural issue you're looking at, too. You have people that are more and more isolated. You have uh, social media puts people in different silos. And uh, it was supposed to be a, a, a medium where people were drawn closer together instead uh, they use social media as an excuse not to engage with real people, everyday people in real life. They're just isolated in their rooms. They play a lot of video games. There are broader cultural problems that we're facing here, and and I think you need to take a look at that too. Well, when that I mean, I for one didn't let my kid play video games like that where, that were shooting people up. I don't think it's healthy, and I think I think we need to take a look at that, and take responsibility in that area. We we cannot have a culture where you're just always promoting violence and then be shocked when there's some violence. Well, I know when you hear these put out there, the the discussion where some will come back with there are other game players and there are other there's mental health in other countries. All those things exist, but they don't have that kind of massive assault history that we have here. So uh, it, it, these things all exist elsewhere, but the difference is. I understand, but you can't the, deny that there. You, you can't deny that they're a contributing factor. It's it's not a it's not a healthy environment. Okay, so let's go to the next topic. That talk about the January sixth Select Oversight Committee to find out what happened on January sixth, twenty twenty one. The minority leader is not having any of this. I'd like to know. Do you support the process underway for the select committee? Well, listen, Claudia, the, the process underway by definition is political. Uh, there are political agendas there. Um, there are gotcha games going on. I'd like to know more about what happened on January 6th. I'd like to know about law enforcement, where they were. I'd like to know what the FBI knew. I'd like to know a lot of things about uh, January 6th. I don't think we're going to get to the bottom of all that with this political jockeying because it's just the system is so polarized. You're either here or here. 
And uh, I don't think there's any real dialogue in between trying to get to the truth of what happened on January 6th. Well, um, I think, uh, how do you receive that there there was a lot of trauma experienced that day by staff, by electeds? Absolutely. and Claudia, listen, there are that, some that, that actually I looked, I, um, there was a New York Times piece about three black legislative aides, and that was maybe written several months later. And then I tried to track them down on the anniversary of January 6, 2022, and they're, they're not there anymore. That, they, were, they were traumatized beyond even having that career. So I, I just want to know that if you don't, if you see that we owe those that were immediately affected as well as institutions that were harmed by this norm breaking so so let, let's put the whole thing in perspective there were uh thousands of people at that protest that were there expressing uh, their legitimate constitutional rights of free speech and association there were people there that broke the law there are people there that also committed crimes there are people that did, did bad things those people should be held accountable under the law. I'm, I'm not going to say exactly what uh, uh, their accountability should be because the law says that. But whatever those people did on that day that actually broke the law, there should be accountability for that. And we have civil laws that take care of the things you're talking about, and we have criminal laws that take care of the crimes that were committed. Well, under the civil law uh, banner would be the 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 efforts underway to change electors that would certify that 2020 election outcome. So uh, that is a civil pursuit of who was trying to elaborately change the outcome of the 2020 election. So what, how do you, are you curious about just how, including from the John Eastman that's part of in, in our Orange County um, sort of political and legal infrastructure here, formerly from Chapman University. But the, would you be? Are you concerned about those norms being broken? Those the civil in, uh, in, insurrection of changing who is actually going to be certifying, include and the people who voted not to certify the actual vote. Uh, your question's a little convoluted, and it covers a well, lot. Well, there of was different, so much. It, it covers a lot of different areas. Yes. But we have a system in place. Uh, we have an electoral college that has worked fine for the 200 and some odd years that America has been in existence. And so if you're asking, should we change the electoral college? No, we shouldn't change that at all. Well, I'm I'm looking at what UC Irvine law professor, he, he has been here for the, since the, the foundation. However, I think he's going to be relocating to UCLA's law school. They're lucky we, we'll lose him. But Rick Hassan, I know you know of the the fellow, and he's he's been very rattled by how this uh, subversion of the electoral process. It's not about the electoral college, but he he'll his commentary is about how close we got to where s- some pivotal states in Pennsylvania. I'm at a loss to name all of them, but in those states, oh, and in Georgia, there were, there were maybe one or two people that staved off a challenge that could have flipped what the electoral college totals might have been. So that was the the institutions were very fragile and it could, and that fragility has not been Well, see, I disagree. Reinforced. I don't think the institutions were fragile. I think you the don't. institutions were quite resilient. 
um, the uh, there's a lot of questions about those elections, and those questions should be asked in Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, uh, Georgia, Arizona, uh, Michigan. There were there were a lot of irregularities that happened, and they should be explored. Uh, the challenge is our system isn't quite set up to do a quick challenge after an election because it takes time and and fraud and things like that are difficult to prove. And so going forward, what you have to do is go make sure your voter files are clean because everybody wants a fair election. Uh, You have to make sure that the laws are structured so you actually have the people that are casting the vote are the people who claim they're casting the vote. And so that's been going on since the last election. You have a lot of states that have changed their laws to make sure that the elections are tighter and there's there's no fraud or there's less opportunities for fraud. Um, but that just shows that our system is working. We have, you know, the founding fathers couldn't anticipate everything that could have happened in the next two or 300 years. And so when we, we face new situations, we address them and we make them better. And our system today is stronger. So I, I, don't, uh, I don't see it as an urgent need to go out and change anything structurally with our Constitution. I think the states are doing a good job. Okay. So... Who won the election in 2020? Is that is that a, uh, no, a qual- qualified? I, it's an act, okay. It's a through line from the system is intact. So who won that election? So Joe president? Biden got the electoral votes, and he is our president. Okay. Were there irregularities? Yes. Do those irregularities need to be evaluated, explored, investigated, and corrected? Yes. We need to make sure our elections are safe and secure. I don't think that last election was the most safe and secure election our country has seen. I think because of COVID, there were a lot of rules that were thrown out. There were uh, in Pennsylvania and uh, in Georgia, uh, the, the courts have since ruled that what the election bodies did was unconstitutional because they stepped in and overrode state law. It's like you don't just to get you don't just to get to throw the law out to get the outcome you want. And so those things need to be addressed and need to be fixed. Well, I guess among the irregularities, we need to count uh, in Georgia, the Fulton County Registrar Administrator, how she was buttonholed by a call from the sitting president to change the outcome in Georgia, in I, Fulton I, County. I, I'm not familiar. That seems so unusual. The, it's on the the oh. Rebsberger had taped the whole conversation okay. where he, that, that they would shut or that shook down for that vote. So I'd like to know... Were you elected to be representing the 47th? Do you sign on to holding town meetings? Oh, sure. Okay. Yeah, I mean, that's part of the uh, representative government. You have to talk to the people. Well, the before our incumbent, there, the previous office holder did not hold those public town hall meetings. So it's a it's a sort of a new muscle that's getting yeah. toned around here and so the back and forth has been happening. So you you're signing on to providing town hall meetings. People in person. I, I am signing on to making myself available to the people I represent. So did you have any kind of a closing comment? Because we this is the 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 close of our segment here. Did you, Scott Wall, have anything that you'd like to Say to the listeners. No, I think I, I wish we would have talked more about what uh, I've been out walking precincts every week. What this are you last hearing? weekend, I, I walk precincts, uh, uh, several hundred homes. And do you know what people care about the most? They care about inflation and they care about crime. 
Nobody brought up gun control or abortion to me. They care about what's going on in this economy right now. And they're concerned that we have open borders. We have, we have weapons that come across the border. We have illegal drugs that come across the border. We have 107,000 drug overdoses this last year, many from fentanyl that illegally comes across the border. Those are the things that people, when I walk precincts, that's what they tell me they care about. And the spending is out of control. The debt is out of control. They want these things fixed. Okay. That's the closing comment, the, the closing argument made. So, Scott Paul, I really appreciate your taking the time to be on Ask a Leader. Join me in studio today. Thank you. Good to be with you. Thank you. My guest was Scott Baugh, challenging Congresswoman Katie Porter in the new 47th Congressional District. That includes, I'm going to name that again, folks, because it's new, Seal Beach, Huntington Beach, Newport Beach, Laguna Beach, Costa Mesa, and Irvine. The California primary is next June 7th. And don't forget to vote if you haven't already. We'll be right back with Bethany Webb with a lot to say about what has been perpetrated against her sister and her mother and where she's taking that. Thank you and stay tuned. Thank you for staying tuned. You're listening to Ask a Leader, and my guest is here to give us, oh my goodness, I can't wait to do this with her today. So Bethany Webb is joining us today from Huntington Beach, and she is speaking at the intersection of gun violence and electoral choices before us. Her sister, Laura Webb, was killed, and her mother, Hattie Stretz, wounded, in the 2011 Salon Meritage mass shooting in Seal Beach. Bethany Webb is a member of California Crime Victims for Alternatives to the Death Penalty and a tireless advocate of abolition. As I mentioned, she has suffered one of the most traumatic losses, and we're gonna, we'll talk about that. She's worked with the other victims, family members, to oppose the death penalty in the resulting trial, based on her opposition to the practice and on the fact that it would cause the families to endure a painful and unending litigation process. I think that gets lost on some of us. We think that um, that's the end, but it's just the beginning, and it re-traumatizes survivors of violence. Beth even spoke to the Orange County District Attorney then, Mr. Rakakis, to let him know her opposition to the penalty, but he uh, went on to tout his victim's rights bona fides. So in 2017, the defendant, and I don't name defendants, I don't name gun violence perpetrators. I don't like to amplify their profile one bit. The defendant was sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole because the judge presiding over the case found that the corruption of the Orange County District Attorney's Office and the Orange County Sheriff's Department had been so pervasive that he couldn't guarantee a constitutional sentencing hearing. In 2016, Beth is forceful campaigner for Prop 62, a statewide ballot initiative that nearly abolished the death penalty in California. She continues to be active in the fight to end death penalty and challenge corrupt prosecutors at the local level. Well, we have some prosecutors on our ballot for the primary. She appeared recently at UCI's School of Law Center for Domestic Violence last February. I'm so sorry I missed that form. Bethany's day job is as a loan officer and a real estate agent. 
and I don't know, she can quickly tell us, where did you complete your uh, higher ed, what, work after high school? Where did you go? Honestly, it was, a, was you know, it was a three-hour test for to be a real estate agent, and okay. the study before that was done locally. So. Okay, there you go. So, and, and Bethany, I'm just going to ask. Can I just shout out, if you don't mind, this is not part of the program, but a shout out to all the parents who have struggled getting their their kids i have a senior that's graduating on uh, june 14th and we and, and uh he had to do a year and a half of distance learning and i forgot how much i didn't ever know or forgot about geometry we couldn't have a tutor okay. in so for all of you that have somebody graduating um yes and maybe they're not going on to finer education i've made a good living uh, with a trade that I found, and so I want to prop up trade schools and unions, and and getting back to our workers, uh, making a living on them, you know, okay. on on something that doesn't take a four year education. Okay, thank you, so and that's that. and that's why I always bring that up on college radio. I, the the arc for my forces to be reckoned with my guest that there is no self-evident arc and that's why i'm so glad you i wanted to include that. i just t- couldn't find it anywhere and she's coming to yeah. us today from huntington beach so i want to welcome you to ask a leader bethany webb thank you before we begin this interview i'm here to take stock with you and with our listeners of how each mass shooting re-traumatizes Bethany Webb and others whom have lost someone in gun violence. And it's a it's in the etiquette considering the expanding list of survivors of any gun violence. It's important step that we take. So Bethany, I'm so very sorry for this horrific pain reinflicted upon you from that assault committed on October 12, 2011, where six women, one of them was your sister, Two men were killed and your mother that was wounded. I'm just taking stock. I am so very sorry. Thank you. So if you were able to listen to the previous guest segment with Scott Baugh, did you want to respond in any way? Since we did talk about gun violence. In every way. Could I respond in every way? Absolutely. This is what the form's for. If you don't mind. Go ahead. So let's start off with what you were just saying. Um about how it re-traumatizes the families. And it is unfortunate that in the 10 years since my sister was murdered, um, that it, which is still the largest mass shooting in Orange County history um, at Salon Maritage, the still beat Salon, um, that what has, what has, what every time there is a mass shooting, let me can I, if you don't mind, I'm going to go to that day. All right. And I'm going to we have to every you. liberty to take here. I want to explain to you and your listeners what it, how it feels that day. So I had volunteered at the PTA. I was a living a relatively normal life, I guess you would say. And I, and on the TV there was breaking news. And honestly, my first thought was, oh, no, it's a car chase or a fire, and and they're going to do it for an hour, and I'm going to miss a program I haven't seen in forever. And instead, it was a picture of my sister's salon that she had worked at for 10 years, Salon Maritage. My sister, Laura Webb, remember her name? She was an amazing person, Laura Webb. And 
it said six people, nine people shot, six people dead. And it went back to the program. Oops. That bite was not as newsworthy for an hour helicopter ride as a fire or a car chase. So I went into panic mode and I finally was able to contact somebody that said that the family members were supposed to go to the Seal Beach Library. So I called my mom to to say what I had seen, to say, you know, mom, this is what happened. But my mom didn't answer. By this time, I called my mom, my sister's work, her cell, her home. I called my mom and her home and it flashes through my head. My mom's been out of town for two weeks. Laura does her nails. My mom will be at that salon. And I literally cannot breathe. And I can't think. So uh, moving forward, I'm at the Phil Beach Library. And we know that there are nine people that have been shot, six or dead. I find out my mom is one of the people that has been shot, but she is alive and in surgery. The hospital, and I've since talked to a nurse, by the way, that was there, that said they were trying, they wanted to help us, but they weren't allowed to give out information. So Mm. for the next eight hours, I am trying to find out who is alive there, or for the next, actually at this time, probably five hours. There's a new press conference hours later, and, and it is, Uh, confirmed that now eight people are dead and one person is still alive and I know that to be mom my mom and yet I still can't accept that Laura is dead so I think maybe she's hiding she's in shock she climbed in a closet there's a thousand possibilities of where she is and how she's still alive and I live with that for eight hours until I get confirmation. Eight so, hours. Last week, eight hours. If you think the eight hours from the time you clock in at work till the time you're done is really long, imagine eight hours in panic, in your mind telling you something that is probably true if you are somebody who thinks critically and your heart begging your mind to find another answer. So I read an article about the kids in Uvalde or the the families of the kids in Uvalde. And that weapon of war the AR-15, which I'm going to come back to, had massacred them to such a place that DNA tests were needed. So it was longer than eight hours for those who... When my sister died, they asked me for things. She had a Tweety tattoo and a Plumeria tattoo. It was soft and easy and lovely. So... And the parents in your they had to do DNA because 10-year-olds don't have really tattoos or, you know, they were so slaughtered beyond recognition. The DNA tests were. And I read that that day, and that is my, my PTSD, if you will. That 
those hours when you're hoping. I was in the library with family members, and we were all hoping that our people were alive. The people in Uvalde were hoping that their kids were alive knowing. And and may I throw something in here? You know what's not being reported? Isn't there like 15 extra kids that were shot? No, that's... And I don't know a news news outlet that's saying... It's, sorry. it's that those that were also wounded, and then there were also those that were, I don't like it when the media calls the others were unharmed. There's trauma mm-hmm. for being, if oh. you survive the trauma, so there's a, like a population of, of waste right. and in the whole entire school. So, right, there's a, an undercount of people that are affected when we just name the numbers. Absolutely. It's, um, and... You know, if we can go back 10 days before Uvalde to Buffalo, um, you know, we have seen vulnerable places. We have seen schools, which is the most vulnerable place, in my opinion. But churches and movie theaters and hair salons and nail salons. And I must be really clear, my mom, when I realized my mom would be getting her nails done, after all the trauma my mom has been through, everybody reported she was getting her hair done. And for just to set the record straight, because it's important to her, she was getting her nails done. <laughs> I guess you hold on to something, some bit of normalcy at that moment. But back to those. Um, you had grandmothers and, and leaders of faith shopping and dads for birthday cakes shopping in the only supermarket in a mile radius, which is a whole other conversation on why that is, but still the ugly, racist, white supremacist um, indoctrination from the right. And, and if I may, I am going to be political. I'm not going to say the Democratic Party is perfect. I don't believe it is. But what I am going to say is it is let me give you a comparison. Say you like steak. Okay. So there's, there's that. And your idea of steak is this perfect place where a politician is everything and says everything and does everything or a party that you want it to be. And then your next um, choice is chicken. Okay, I like chicken. Or, or you're a, ba- a vegan. Okay, so I like this. It's really good. And the next choice is something your dog has left in the backyard. That is what your choices are right now. Voting for anybody that has connected themselves with the Republican Party, which is blood on their hands, owned by the NRA, against, and and, and when they say, and let's just say this, this is the same party, the same Supreme Court that is pro-life. No, they're pro-birth. Because once that baby is born, he's not safe in school. They don't want to supply. I mean, there are spouts where if you drug test bad, they don't want to give you welfare or WIC, uh, which is a, it's a way to feed poor children. So if a drug addict goes in and says, I'm a drug addict, I can't quit. I can't have this baby. They're going to say, no, you have to have that baby. But if that baby, if you don't feed that baby on day one, you're on your own. And if that baby commits a crime or shoots up a school, then we'll kill that baby. So 
<laughs> yeah. Um, sorry, I might have gone off topic. No, no, it's all. We on. need that to where we we where we should. Well, be. we are. This is what we're doing. We're talking about your reconciling your loss and and your mission to to end the death penalty. And it's an extraordinary process, Beth. That I would like for you to talk about how you've come to this disposition. Was this some uh, about the death penalty? Something that you had held before, or was it as you were a, essentially a relative of of gun violence deaths? So both. So um, I am um, I am an unabashed liberal. I and I'm not a you know progressive is a great word, but I'm a liberal. I believe in thinking things through, and 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 I always have been. And I had read multiple articles well before Laura died about the inequities of both race and uh, income in the death penalty. If you're poor and you're a person of color. You, you, the likelihood of you both being charged and uh, being convicted of uh, and sentenced to death rose substantially based on your color and, and your economic standing. The other thing a lot of people don't know is the race of the victim. If the victim was white, the chances that you would be charged and, and convicted uh, and sentenced to death raised uh, tremendously. So <laughs> we can go to the inequities, but that's so where I started was I had read enough to understand it was done unfairly. Um, as a matter of fact, right when Tiki Williams was being executed, 205 or 206, my sister Laura uh, held uh, holiday parties every year. And Victoria Buzo, who was her best friend, her co-worker, and died with my sister that day, and one of my absolute favorite people in the world, and had been to 20 of these Christmas parties with me um, in 206. And Laura had a couple of rules. You can't drink beer out of a bottle. It had to be poured in a glass. Ah. No jeans and no talking about politics. And I broke one of those rules every year. <laughs> Uh, which would be the, the the talking of, if you will, politics. And I always thought about it as um, the talking of something local more important than the news or uh, celebrityism, I guess. Um, so I was talking to Victoria Buzo about the upcoming execution, and I said, I, I, I don't believe in this. I mean, we know so many people have been found innocent, you know, that have been sentenced to death row. Now, because of the laws, once you have been murdered by the state, they can't uh, bring in um, more evidence. You can't reopen a case. You've been murdered. That case is shut, which I think is um, wrong. And I'd like to, for a different day and a different subject, I don't think that's correct, but let's go from here. Okay. We know that people that have been sentenced to the death penalty, that there are hundreds of people that that has been vacated because the evidence was wrong. So, and let me tie this back to my sister's shooting, if I may. Okay, please. And, and I want to tell you something that was really important that you said. I don't mention his name. I am not pleading. I never pleaded for um, 
forgiveness, if you will. Uh, I don't say his name. I hold him accountable. But I refuse to be him. I refuse to be somebody that murders somebody other than in self-defense. So there is a distinction there. And I will also say on the gun issues, my husband is a responsible gun owner. We do not own AR-15s or I don't don't own anything. Um, He has a safe. I'm not talking about the Second Amendment and and, and, and really the small, compact way that our forefathers, who, by the way, were slave owners. <laughs> let's, let's forget that like, this whole thing, like they were God and created this, almost like the Bible like was written by God. No, it was written by prophets 200 years later. The oh, I'm sorry, I'm going to go off here on a second, but the, con- you know, the Constitution was written by some really forward-thinking people who were slave owners and had no concept of an AR-15. None. So let's just go there. So I'm going to go back to, I'm sorry if I'm We have just around, a few but... minutes left, yes. And I don't, I'm, I know there's so much you have to say, and I'm so privileged to have you be available to, to us on this program. So we have just a few minutes left. So please, okay. please tell us. Ask me the question that you want me to finish. No, 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 no. Thought. Finish your thought, please. I won't. I won't get in your way with your thought. Um, I'm going to come back to my final thoughts. That thought just said, "Mental health. Let's start there. Every single per, every country experiences the same amount per capita of mental health issues as we do." Every other country plays video games. Look at Japan. More video games per capita. Almost no gun deaths. Okay? We don't allow people under 21 to buy alcohol or tobacco. Okay? But, and Scott Law also said, oh, I'm going to support, support background checks. Let's be clear. The last two masks shootings were by 18-year-olds, the very latest, uh, the one in Uvalde. He bought two AR-15s and a 1,000 rounds of ammunition. On his 18th birthday and later, let's be clear, folks, we have, we sealed juvenile records. So on your 18th birthday, and I support background checks, universal, Gun shows private everything. It's a step in the right direction, but it is not the end of the answer because that 18-year-old had no record. So what would 21 do? It would give you three years of an adult record, of adult behavior. I'm a loan officer. And greater maturity. the crash in 2008, I get federally checked every year. I have a federal back, uh, check to re- renew my uh, loan officer. It's an NMLS license to make sure I haven't done anything that could, um, as far as, like, I couldn't take advantage, no, you know, uh, of, of somebody buying a home. Every four years as a real estate agent, same thing. Eight hours of testing every year to be a loan officer. 40 hours of testing every four years to be a real estate agent. 
can we do some testing? My license is coming back due in July on my birthday, and I have to get a real ID to say who I am and why I should drive and why I should travel. Oh, we don't have that to buy a weapon of war. And Scott Boss sitting here talking about, I don't know, I have to look into it. He's been running for Congress for 12 years, and he hasn't looked into the almost half a million people that have died from the biggest mass shooting in Orange County in, in Seal Beach in 2010 to now. And I want to say one more thing. There will be a rally next Saturday, June 4th, on Ocean Boulevard, north side of the Seal Beach Pier, at the memorial for the last biggest shooting, well, still, the, the, the biggest shooting, uh, mass shooting in Orange County history. And we'll have Katie Porter, a real person, an amazing person that, that if you do anything, understand something, give me just a couple of minutes here. Cause well, it's I, so I only have, I have less, I have no minutes left. I'm so, so sorry. Okay. Uh, so nationally, we, we nationally, have... vote nationally because our guns the... in California with our laws come from Nevada. 60% of the guns that are in Chicago come from Indiana nationally vote for Katie Porter, make a change locally. Jay Chen, any any okay. Democrat is going to save our lives. Well, that's the intersection of your family's, this violent encounter, this violent history with gun violence. And I uh, thank you for bringing this really important testimonial in the intersection of that with the electoral politics. My guest was Bethany Webb, member of the California Victims for Alternatives to the death penalty speaking, as I said, at this intersection. And I'm going to say Laura Webb's name and your mother's Hattie Strett's name as we close. Thank you for your time, Bethany Webb. Thank you. Well, that's my show. Next week, we're going to have on Ask a Voter Primary 2022 show. Email me soon if you want to get on. Talk with you next week. Thank you for listening, everyone.